Yeah, I wrote there. Uh, so we're doing movie jokes this episode. Oh yeah, there's always a joke. Then finally, Goose responds. Scott first thinks it's his dad. Well, it's the same voice. Uh, <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've said it pulls off one of the greatest tricks we've seen oh, yeah. in the series so far. Yep, agreed. Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename 6000, 80s guru skills critical, Wyatt Bloom, Broadcast technician, DJ, critic, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename Phoenix, 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble mobile armored strike command. Masscast episode 78 is here featuring another episode review of the mobile armored strike command animated series from 1985. Coming up, we will take a look at episode 61 treasure of the Nazca plane which will include our play-by-play commentary mixed in with audio clips from the actual episode when we reach the dramatic halfway point and the finale of the episode we will pause to give our impressions and our review using our one to five scale maskometer then we will turn it over to you the listener and we've got several comments uh, in this episode for you we'll uh, announce the results of the poll and read back your reviews as posted at agentsofmask.com. If you wanted to contribute beforehand, like we always say, in the right-hand column, there's a picture and a little mask cast assignment. Just click on that picture. It'll take you right to the post if you don't see it right there at the top of the website. And uh, you can watch the episode, see all the stats, and uh, leave your maskometer rating and leave your review, and we'll read it back uh, as we record. Treasure of the Nazca Plane was originally broadcast on December 23rd, 1985, and the United States features Mask attempting to foil an evil plot by Venom to steal a prehistoric South American treasure, in quotes. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jason, one of your hosts of Maskcast, and with me, as always, my longtime friend and fellow co-host, the Captain Slaughter to my Katrina Stoneheart. It's the Pound Puppy! Here's Cooler! Whopper! Nose Marie! Bright Eyes! And Owler! <laughs> doing with those fleas over there do you have fleas i feel a little itchy right now now that you said it <laughs> captain slaughter how you doing i'm good but it, i know it's not sergeant slaughter so i'm still vague <laughs> on what, what you're meaning these uh are characters from the television series the pound puppies oh wow <laughs> i guess i'm not up on my my names, but I remember watching that like bits and pieces of 
Katrina Stoneheart, she was the main villain. And then uh, they brought in Captain Slaughter every once in a while as another bad guy. But uh, the Pound Puppies created back in 1984 by Mike Bowling. The uh, first puppies were sold in Canada. Uh, Irwin Toy in Toronto, Canada was the, the first manufacturer. And then Tonka are the ones that introduced them to the U.S. market. There was a television special in 1985 by Hanna-Barbera, and then that spawned into the 1986 animated series, which lasted for two seasons and 26 episodes. There was an actual feature film in 1988 that was released to theaters. It did 500000 at the box office. Pound Puppies and the Legend of the Big Paw was the name of that movie. And then... I actually caught, my daughter started watching the uh, 2010 animated series from Hasbro. I want to say that was on, hmm. I've seen it. Amazon, or maybe maybe it was Netflix. It was actually on. I think Netflix, uh, yeah. That one ran for three seasons and 65 episodes. And yeah, that was, uh, that was very interesting. There were some uh, voices in the 2010 remake that I definitely recognized, but... The two characters I mentioned, Katrina Stoneheart, was played by Pat Carroll. Pat Carroll was the voice of Ursula in The Little Mermaid. And she was actually the grandma in the Garfield specials as well. So uh, she had many television and and voice appearances dating all the way back to the 50s. She's still alive, actually, 93 years old. Uh, Captain Slaughter was played by Peter Cullen. A very optimist-like voice, if you go back and listen (laughs) to that character. I mean, very... I mean, it was basically the same voice. And then Katrina's cat, I think it was named Catgut. The voice mannerisms for that, of course, were played by Frank Wilker. So, the the voice cast for both series, the original Pound Puppies, uh, besides those, you had Dan Gilvezen, who is... uh, Bumblebee and Spider-Man and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. You also had BJ Ward, who was, was it Scarlet in GI Joe? She was Scarlet and BJ Ward. I think she's, um, Princess Alora from Voltron. Yeah. And then another character, Bright Eyes was played by Nancy Cartwright, who was Bart Simpson. Yeah. So there's a lot of very talented people in that first Pound Puppies animated series. And then the 2010 actually had uh, Betty White. Um, trying to think who else was in that. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jim Parsons, who is uh, Sheldon, you know, on Big Bang Theory. He oh, yeah. had a character on there. Dabney Coleman, George Takai, you, you might know as uh, Sulu from Star yeah. Trek. So, yeah, there's some uh, some big voices in that one, too. E.G. Daly was in there as a recurring character, and I actually kind of enjoyed the show. I mean, you think Pound Puppies, I don't know, they were kind of made for both boys and girls uh, back in the day. But I didn't watch much of the original series, and then when she started watching that, got into the dogs and everything, she, uh, she sucked me in. <laughs> I started watching. It was actually pretty good. So there's your history of pound puppies. How about that? There you go. There you go. Yeah, I know we <laughs> we we were on a short run of the new pup, the 2010 pound puppies. Someone found it by happenstance, and I walked in like literally from the car or something. I saw it. I'm like, wow, pound puppies! They remade it. Mm-hmm. Of course, that 
generated, Dad, they made pound puppies back when you know when you were watching when you were a kid. And I said, Yep. This is a remake. This is new. And then that's I, about where, where I think I've seen them at Target in their little yep. retro section. They've actually yep. brought them back yep. similar to the uh style that they had back in the day with a little carrier and the, the puppy the inside. House, yeah. 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 So that's uh, neat that they, you know, uh, everything old is new again. It seems that's like it. That's <laughs> it. there's a lot of stuff, and I know you probably more so with uh, rediscovered the '80s and, and and the retro network can come up with it. But it's still, I love that they put the nod there that you know this was here, and they'll they'll try to reboot it. They'll try to do something to give us something thirty yeah. plus years later. You know, uh, I keep waiting to see an unexpected mask character, you know, <laughs> sitting in one of the stores, but I think we're a long time waiting on that. Yeah, we'll see. But then again, they could still surprise us, but I think they got to work on this movie, whatever they're doing with the movie, if they are doing the movie. Yeah. All right, well, speaking of mask, let's go ahead and get our mask on. Get your mask on! I had just uh, one thing in Get Your Mask On this week, and I wanted to shout out Scott Crawford over at the Mask Comics blog, who is uh, Scott from Scotland, as he says in one of his videos. But he's now doing a fun video series on his Mask Comics YouTube channel. And uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of them, Wyatt, but he's adding in some fun special effects in the videos as he's going through the UK comics. So he's going through the UK comics kind of page by page, but uh, what he's doing is like uh, one of the earlier episodes, he was in Rhino. He was driving Rhino. You could see him right out the, uh, the driver's door there. Nice. Of course he was on the, uh, the right side, you know, since yeah. he's uh, across the pond where the steering wheel would be. Uh, but he's commenting on the book and he's kind of in Rhino and then he drives on to the next page and, Nice. Then uh, later, he's in Condor. He's kind of hovering. He's got the nice little helicopter effect, and he's hovering all over the screen. <laughs> and I was like, this is the coolest thing. You know, who doesn't want to be inside uh, Condor and Rhino? And then uh, he did another uh, video on that Mask Force website, and he was using his uh, uh, Alex's wrist communicator or whatever that thing was, you know, on yeah. his wrist, he made one and it, little holograms would pop up and then he'd kind of throw it over here like Tony Stark and Iron Man and uh, <laughs> t- tell you a little bit about all the pages and stuff and he went through, he, he gave us a shout. So very fun stuff. The the uh, My favorite video that he's done so far is a little PSA about wearing your mask. Of course, you know, we're in COVID. Nice. He did a little PSA with Anna, our Anna that always comments yeah. on there, and basically just telling people to wear their mask. And of course, Scott is wearing. He puts the the mask that comes down is the logo mask from Mask, yes. and of course Anna gets whip because she's such a Vanessa fan. So yes, she is. Go uh, over to YouTube and check those videos out. I think he's done three or four of the comics reviews. Uh, and then there's, like I said, there's other, some other um, videos that he's put together on the, uh, I think it's called mass comics or maybe mass comics blog channel on YouTube. Uh, I think I have put it in our profile as well. There's a place where you can share other yeah. 
channels. Um, but that's been really fun, and uh, kudos to him for coming up with uh, something unique that he can share with the mask community. Uh, anything you've got on uh, Get Your Mask On over there? No, unfortunately, no. I haven't seen okay. anything mask news well, related. That's, that's quite all right. Um, I haven't been uh, had a chance to do too much, but yeah, I, I meant to mention that the last episode, and I didn't want to forget this time to give Scott a shout. So that's great, and I know there's a few more people that have popped up with new Facebook groups mm-hmm. uh, concerning masks. That's great that we have more fellow people that are that are just intrigued with masks. I know there's that that guy that has a 3D printer. I, name escapes me. He's just going to town on his 3D printer with mm-hmm. anything and everything, like a three or four stories deep uh, complex, Boulder Hill complex with everything, the whole yeah. shebang, the, the the Voltron table, we call it, you know, and, and the masks. Now he makes different masks, some that light up one way and one that light up a different way. And cool. He's gone all to town with these things, and it's, it's just impressive. There's <laughs> another guy that's modifying Thunderhawk. Like the the toy Thunderhawk, and they'll like get it all silver painted and or pinstriped, and but it's still Thunderhawk. It still opens up. Just like <laughs> he really gets into the details, and it's it's, a, it's actually fascinating that these guys just are creative with it. We need a uh, we need a Thunderhawk paint job on a DeLorean model. Nobody's ever done that yet. No, but they try to spoof that on one of the the commercials. Remember? They did, yes. <laughs> That's right. Back in the day, but yeah, that's yeah. There's a lot of creative people out there, and I love seeing stuff like that pop up too on Facebook and wherever. Uh, being creative, but all right. Well, we have uh, put it off long enough. Let's go ahead and uh, and get moving. Let's head down to South America. All right, let's start the mass cast. <laughs> We fade up to a picturesque sunset with the ending music bed, which is odd, playing now, as Thunderhawk passes by. Then we immediately cut to the interior as Matt, Alex, T-Bob, and Scott, with his camcorder in his hand, are looking out the driver's side. Then Alex turns to the right and comments that he never tires of the sunsets. Scott states that it'll be great for his movie. Shortly afterward, Matt notices something and asks Alex's opinion. That's called the candelabrum. It was carved into the mountain thousands of years ago. No one knows who made it or why. Wow! Dad, can you get a shot of us on top of it? Our work with Tracker Foundation is finished here, Scott. You know we have a flight to catch. Aw, please, Dad, please. It'll just take a second. Well, aren't they in a plane already? <laughs> Surmising that's that right there. That's what I said. Yep, that's what I said. Yep. Scott begs to take the photo, and of course, Matt obliges. He banks around and grants their request. On the ground, we see Scott attempting to frame. Well, I'm not doing it even right. That's why I'm not a director. <laughs> He's trying to frame the sunset with his fingers. He asked Matt if he'd get a high angle in Thunderhawk, then come down and Swoop into the duo. T-Bob offers that he swoops up with Matt and zooms off without him. (laughs) A little chuckle is heard. Then we see a great transformation of Thunderhawk as it takes flight. As Matt and Alex ascend, 
Matt ponders if he'll be invited to the premiere. Of course, then Alex comments that he'll probably need a chauffeur as they have a little chuckle. And Alex gets the... I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I wouldn't leave those two alone for five minutes, let alone on the side of a cliff. That was just kind of weird to me (laughs) to see, oh, we'll drop you off and and take off. And there they are all alone, you know. (laughs) That's Well, we see that this protective dad oftentimes is not so protective. He just dumps them off on a street somewhere or on the highway. (laughs) Back alley, yeah. Um, And now you're dumping them off on the hilltop. Now, granted, you are in Thunderhawk. You got the aerial shot. You can kind of surmise that most... You know, it looks kind of clear. But again, you're just dumping them off, and then you just fly off into the sky <laughs> a couple miles at least away. And, you know, it doesn't have afterburners for, for all I know. And you're still kind of away from the kid. <laughs> yeah. you know, just saying. But it is a cartoon, so we're reading D- Different times, too. Yeah, yep. different times. Very, that's true. <laughs> so on the ground, Scott tells T-Bob, Start waving! He's coming in. Not yet. Uh, the sunlight is exaggerating all my dents and dings. Makeup, come on down. Yeah, sour. Uh, this wasn't in my contract. I quit. As they run off, Matt exclaims, What's going on? As it appears the rain is only over the symbol. So then they swoop down, and then that kind of Ends the the act, we'll call mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I wrote there. Uh, so we're doing movie jokes this episode. Oh yeah, there's always a joke. There's always a theme. <laughs> I actually laughed at the uh, swooping in and zooming off without Scott. I thought that was funny. Yep. Um. All right. So now we're a little bit later. Scott and T Bob are in Thunderhawk, back with Matt and Alex, and Matt asks Alex to analyze. I guess the what was it the symbol? I think. In the no, he or had, no, no, it was the, the rain. The it was the rain. Yeah. But what's funny uh, is he's he asked Alex, but the computer's spitting it out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Can, Alex, can you push this button for me? Chemical analysis of substance consists of lemon juice, sea salt, chicha, a Peruvian beer, and chirimoya. That's astounding. What? The contents of the rain? No, that. The candelabra. Glowing figures point directly to Nazca Plains, 200 miles southwest of present location. No other significant landmarks aligned on continent. So they do an infrared scan and detects no heat source on the glowing lights. So Alex wonders what is making them glow. And now after that little mystery, we fade back to the city or I guess their hotel at nighttime now. Later that day, Scott asked Matt if they are going to the Nazca Plains. Matt says he talked to his friend, Dr. Carruthers, and he's expecting them there tomorrow. So Scott kind of rolls back in his bed uh, and says the mysterious figures of the Nazca Plain, it's all perfect for his epic. Uh, Matt turns off the light, which was really cool animation. I did like when they dimmed the light. That was really good. Uh, Scott pulls up the covers and rolls over saying the sacrifices he makes for art <laughs> to T-Bob. T-Bob hops, yeah, T-Bob hops up from his bed, wondering, Art? Who? <laughs> like, he's talking about some guy named Art. But he gets no answers. And then we see T-Bob's eyes glow yep. a couple times before he lays back down. 
Did you notice so, how exaggerated uh, Scott's breathing was? I realized they were trying to at least animate that he's breathing, but it's like, you know, even in movies or something, you see a little bit of movement. It's like... <sighs> <laughs> I missed that altogether. Yeah, it was yeah. just a real large... I'm like, gee, what's he inhaling? <laughs> so we cut outside now from uh, them going to sleep, and Alex is on the balcony, and Matt walks up saying, there's some kind of mechanism that must have been used to spray that stuff on the candelabra. And he wants Alex to check out any local companies that rent farm spraying equipment tomorrow. Alex gives him the nod. And then we fade back to the next morning. Right. Where Alex hands Matt a sealed envelope and advises Matt of his query. Why would you put it in an envelope? (laughs) I didn't understand that either. Yeah. Here it is. It seems there's only one company with aerial spraying equipment in town. Vera Nova Manufacturing, VNM. Does that sound familiar to anyone? VNM, vermin. Close enough. Venom. Interface with headquarters secured. Select the agents best suited for a mission in the high desert Nazca plains of South America. See, this is where they mess up. You know, when they when they fumble the words or, you know, you know, satellite link to mass computer, they could be doing scenes like this where they it's kind of in transit. They could have saved a lot of my markdowns from that, mm-hmm. maybe yours, too, just for that little thing. But, you know, we're saying again, we're saying this 40 years later. <laughs> um, Matt commands select the best agents for a mission in the in the plains of Nazca in South America. Very specific. As the computer begins to name assignments, the display rapidly flips through all like a few of the agents. Did you notice that? It was yeah, like, I'm cycling now, through. Okay, now it's this guy. They've done that a couple times before, but I kind of like that where it is like you, you see a bunch of the. It throws you off at first because you're not used to doing that. It no, gets, usually you're right. It's right at Bruce. right there. It's, but yeah. it's like a, it's almost like a cycle, and it's yeah. cycling through all the agents, and then boom, lands on Bruce. You know. I don't know. I thought it was kind of neat. Which he is right. Bruce is the first one up. Engineer and design specialist. Vehicle codenamed Rhino. Mobile command center essential. Bruce is working on a remote control tank in his home. Nothing. I mean, he just gets up. There's no like jokes. There's no running away. There's no. It doesn't explode because it has the house on fire. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. It's just a little. What his daily life must be. But I again, it- I caught the bad watch alarm. Yeah. And I thought it was funny, all of these call-ups, they seem to be honing in on the vehicles. So it's almost yeah. like the computer's selecting the vehicles more than the agents here. So Then we got Julio Lopez, physician, vehicle code name Firefly, dual capabilities as dune buggy and aircraft vital, and he's just out golfing. Ta-da. Then we get Brad Turner, expert motorcyclist and helicopter pilot, vehicle code name is Condor. Air mobility critical, and he's just sitting at home. Which looks like he's working on his next song as he's strumming his acoustic. And then we get this approved and assemble. There's no, it wasn't the, you know, heck, I forget the, how he really says it. It's like, yeah, it's approved. Yeah, approved. that's right. Assemble mobile arbitrary command. Just to prove, I don't even know if we got assemble. I think we just got the agents approved or something. But no, he says approved and assemble. Flat. 
done, cut and dry. It's like, okay, computer, you're done. You know, I don't need to spell it out anymore. It's just weird. I, you know, yeah. like I said, it's just not common. Maybe this is their two-second shortcut they do somewhere because they add, and I'll get to it, but they add a lot more animation. Like, they're trying to accentuate. I'm not saying that in a, in a wrong way, but they're trying to accentuate they've figured out better animation. So they're going to let that draw out a little bit more because mm-hmm. they figured out how to transform Thunderhawk a little bit more spicy or they're walking a little bit longer. Just something that they've added just to... Mm-hmm. Anyway. So now we cut to the villa. Yes. Uh, so we fade to their destination. Matt and Alex and Scott and T-Bob and Professor Carruthers are at the table. I'm so glad you were able to come, Matt. I wish it were under more pleasant circumstances, Professor Carruthers. Gracias, Miguel. You had asked about the plains of Nazca. It's an old myth about a priceless treasure hidden in a place called the Cave of Winter. Scott leans to T-Bob, who are, they're both sipping lemonade at this point, asking if he heard about that, about the real treasure. And T-Bob just gives him a sarcastic, like, whoopee, you know? <laughs> uh Crothers continues that he's never been able to learn what the priceless object is or where the cave may be. Matt asks him about the uh, odd ceremony connected with the legend. And Crothers grabs a book and shows him images and continues to involve drastic amounts of a dreadful liquid and spouts off several ingredients and basically naming what the Thunderhawk computer already gave us. And Matt hands back the book. The ceremony is ancient. From what I can tell, it predates the Nazca. Some scholars think the legend goes back 10,000 years to the Ice Age. 10,000 years? That's almost as long as it takes Scott to clean his room. I laughed at that. Yep. Scott scowls at him as T-Bob covers his mouth, and Matt tells Alex, let's see if there's any venom on the Nazca Plains. So we what see, I liked about it, he was kind of yeah. quiet about it. Like a, like he was just saying, hey, might need to grab the team and go, you know? Yeah, yeah. Real it quiet wasn't, about it. Yeah, it was more kind of reserved. Yep. So uh, we get Thunderhawk converting and taking off. Scott is uh, filming it, tells T-Bob he's got the perfect place for a cave of winter scene. And they run to a nearby cave, and Scott tells T-Bob to go in so he can film them. T-Bob takes off the, uh, I guess it was the camcorder, like, battery holster. You know, back in the day, you had those huge batteries, and it was connected to that bag. So he he's the one holding that while Scott was holding the camera. So he takes that off. He enters the cave. Oh, no, you don't. You have my stunt double do that. You are the stunt double. Now get moving, or you'll never work on one of my pictures again. There's no treasure in here. All that's in here is probably bats and rats and bugs. Uh, You get the shot yet? He turns around to ask Scott if he's got the shot yet, and his eyes are glowing again, which scares Scott. So T-Bob runs erratically out of the cave and knocks over Scott. Scott tells him his eyes were glowing, and T-Bob tells him, don't be ridiculous. Uh, Anyway, so we cut back to Thunderhawk flying over the symbols now. Right, where we just kind of got this brief pass or uh, like a little hotel scene real quick. And then we cut to an interior shot. Then we see a canyon coming up. I'm going to drop into this canyon to stay away from Venom Radar. As we see the canyon wall fly by Alex, 
He comments that it's hardly the best place for a cricket field. Well, you wouldn't be doing it on a cliff. I'm just saying. <laughs> Although, when I was stationed, there is a golf course, like, cut, hewned out along the Snake River. And it, you know, yell four, it's going a ways. I'm just saying. <laughs> you will lose that golf ball. Uh, anyway, so... Shortly afterward, we see Vampire and Manta flying over the bird image. Oh, we done it! Hold your horses, runt! We have one more pass for this sector. We now see the spray coming from both Vampire and Manta. The spray falls on Thunderhawk with Alex instructing Matt to follow that yellow rain. Isn't that like, you're not supposed to eat yellow snow? (laughs) Matt states that he can't see. The windshield's blurred. He instructs Alex to lean out and give him instructions as he can't see a thing. Then the masks come down. No instruction. Alex leans out, wipes the visor glass. Then we see him jaw drop as it appears that they are about ready to fly into the hillside. And that's where we break to our commercial. They heard of windshield wipers? Well, that's the thing. And then the all-knowing spectrum, right? Where's yeah. the see-through-the-rain option? That's exactly what I had. So the halftime drama really was not feasible for me. It's probably oh. the worst thing of the, the first half of the episode. They just needed some more detail. Uh, like I said, use the windshield wipers or say it was too thick or cloudy or something for the wipers to work. And then exactly what you were saying, Spectrum should have had a feature like infrared or something to help Matt assist with the terrain. But you, we've got to have some kind of drama anyway. But the other thing I was just like, well, just pull up, dude. <laughs> Get up out All of the right. game so you're away from the walls and everything. How hard is that? So I don't know. I think they could have come up with something better there. Uh, the animation was okay. The sunset scenes were... Uh, were neat the uh, the lights out scene I mentioned that was really good. Uh, I was kind of getting and not in a story way, but in a animation way, I was getting a panda power vibe regarding the vehicle movements, and it was just kind of choppy and bouncy the way that they were uh, were drawing the vehicle and, and the movements, and I did not like that uh, sound the the thunderhawk sound. It's kind of that whistling yep. through the air. I believe they used that in Panda Power too, which kind of knocked me down, but I'm not a fan of that. But as far as the story goes, it was a slow build, but you had the mystery of the rain. You had the glowing eyes. You had this cave of winter dating back to the Ice Age. This all sounded great to me. Uh, Venom didn't show until halftime, which was okay, but their story had better be revealed you know, pretty quickly after the halftime and everything. I was ready for that just to kind of kick in. Also didn't mind the Scott and T-Bob story with the filming a movie so far. It kind of added to the story and mystery a little bit, you know, the little cave scene and just the, I don't know, they need something to do. And instead of being chased by bears and stuff like that, why not film a movie? You know? So a question here by choosing Bruce and needing a mobile command center, would you say that Rhino is essentially a two-man vehicle? It should be. 
I mean, but the, even even when Bruno's typically uh, called, or, uh, yeah, Bruno Bruce, when you hear Alex tied to it, Alex Command Center Commander is usually what he or is what he's called. It's never like backup pilot or backup driver, or co-pilot, something. whatever. Yeah, it's always a Rhino Systems Commander. That's what Alex is mm-hmm. when he's riding in it. So I always think it is a two-man complex. You got someone having to drive it and someone having to run the computer just like Airwolf. You had the, the backseat yeah. computer person. But, and that's I that's what I was just kind of thinking, too, because the, the toy came with both of them. Right. Bruce and Alex. And there's times, though, when there's only one. And they only have one person for Rhino. So it, and they don't I would... use them as well as they could have. You know, very rarely do we see the command center. Very rarely do we see, even as a as a weapon, you know, uh, ramming and the stacks and then the missile launcher. You don't yeah. see, I'm giving it away a little bit, but, you know, we see that a little bit more in action later. We but do. it's so seldom do we get to see full on what Rhino's capabilities really yeah. are. They're either I... mo- mostly sitting in the back. Or they're just driving and using the stack lasers, and yeah, that's it. I remember one scene. There's a it was a panorama I did, and uh, trying to remember which episode. And they were they actually had the stairs that go into the command center part, right. and um, that that's where I was like, we we need more shots of like Bruce getting out of the driver's seat. And that back part transforming the stairs coming down, maybe Alex coming out of the command center part or something, just something like that. So we know that there's actually, they're not just both riding up front all the time. And they're somebody like Alex could be, you know, pulling off some things in the mobile command center, you know, more or less. So like I said, you know, there's some episodes where you get two people in there and some is just one, but that's kind of came to mind as they were wanting a mobile command center. Uh, just a couple more things. We just needed more with the call-up, I think, like you were alluding at. It only gave us their situation. There was no funny moment. We needed that little funny moment. Bruce could have had the tank run into a table or something right? Uh, and broke it. Julio could have jumped in his golf cart and left his golf buddies behind or hit a hole-in-one and ran off and not seen it or something. you know. Right, right. And then Brad could have broken a guitar string. You know, whatever. Just... Something that's always what we get, and just having them kind of mundane doing something, they get the call, and there's no little moment after that, you know, like a oh, I gotta get out of here, you know, (laughs) that was just weird not having that in there. And then just one tick there, there was no pre selection of Alex. Usually, when the agent's on the scene, we we get a pre selection by the computer, and they didn't do that. And the uh, other thing that didn't sit right with me is why Matt let Scott film Thunderhawk and its conversion there. I know this kind of predates the internet and social media, but uh, you're filming like the secrets of mask and the, its right. capabilities, you know? So th- that just uh, it hit me. I was like, okay, so you're letting Scott film all your tech and all your secrets from uh, this uh, supposedly, you know, like secret strike force. So anyway, that just kind of sit different with me. Anyway, my rating, I dropped it down one point. I'm at a four at halftime. Oh. So, well, I was impressed with the animation. You get some hand gestures and more details. Like I said, 
from the doctor. We get more head turns, you know, other little traits we don't typically see as defined in cartoons, at least in that era, in the mid-80s. The plot was there, like you said, but it was it, it had to build to it. Uh, as we now kind of just now see Venom is now in the picture towards the halfway point here. Obviously, we know Venom's involved. They're always involved. It's just part of the name of the game. But it's kind of why. What are they sh- looking for? And we kind of get a glimpse right there at the table that there's a treasure. But that's really all it is. Would have liked to see some kind of hideout bickering that typically happens with Venom. You see a little bit in the card and that's it. You run and that's... I mean, there's usually... At least of late, it's been... You know, Rax and Vanessa going to town at it, and not much. The deal were, were okay. They weren't over-punned, but we know they're going to be involved, obviously, because they're there. Especially since we got T-Bob's glowing eyes. There's something that's going to connect them. Right. You already hit on the, the call-up with the shortened approved, and then there's no... Again, they're consistent with inconsistency. <laughs> and you know, some kind of something that they could have done with each individual that was called up and they missed Alex pre- being pre-approved, which just, I think, the last episode, they didn't pre-approve Brad or someone. It was just ridiculous. Uh, the mask alarm is off again. I already addressed that. And uh, the drama for the commercial was just too slow. You know, I, I get they're doing the animation. They're trying to capture it all, the new this and that. But from the time that Alex sees it and then jaw drops and then pull up or move, it's already like five seconds they would have hit the cliff. Yeah. So they yeah. could have done something that a little more stress about it or right, yeah. wipers are jammed, something, you know. Make them excited. Something, that right. that last lack of like emotion or anything coming out from either of them, other than I can't see, and then whatever he yeah. says right before the end. There there should have been some more kind of back and forth there. Well, I really worked hard to get it above a three, and I mean I worked hard. And the animation is what got it, but I'm at like a three point five right now. Okay, I, I was Below trying to me for once. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that brings us back out of the commercial. Right, so we uh, are still seeing Thunderhawk barreling towards the cliffside. Alex shouts, hard left, and Thunderhawk turns away with Matt using the steering wheel. You know, we've seen this before, and I like that. I like you kind of see... see Yeah, you see it function. There's also almost like a gripping function. So the passenger door laser kind of scrapes the wall, the side of the canyon. And it starts to descend towards the bottom. And then Matt kind of grips the steering wheel. We see him almost looks like he rotates it forward. Like which, a motorcycle throttle. Yeah. And what I'm gathering, because the next part of that was the spoiler like flap starts to turn. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then laying at the bottom. So we're getting some details here on how Matt controls. He steers it like a steering wheel. He's got a rotation function for the flap. So, yep. I mean, that's very fun information to... To learn, so I was glad to see that. But we see him, uh, the flap turn, and then they land on the bottom, very rocky. Yep.
Alex, are you all right? I certainly wouldn't hire you as a parking attendant. Matt breathes heavy. He removes his mask. I mean, that was all good. From above now, we see Vampire and Manta land near Outlaw. And this is finally where we get some of the agents here together. We see Mayhem and Nash Gory. All the agents kind of gather around Gory with this hose in his hand. What's been taking you guys so long? Mayhem's real mad, you know. Pipe down and fill it up, twerk. You're behind schedule! Well, I haven't stopped waking for a second, so don't look at me. Don't worry, Malloy. No one ever wants to look at you. I don't know how many more of these clues we have to follow to get to the treasure, but I do know the only thing that's holding me up is you two. Not amused, Vanessa asks him, what's the hurry? She doesn't see him up there. And they kind of scowl at each other. And this is fun. I mean, this is uh, Vanessa. She There's times where she's almost like, I, I don't know. I kind of think she's Mayhem's second in command. But there's also times where she pulls that like star scream and they'll butt heads against them, you know, oh, yeah. as if, uh, you know, Mayhem's Megatron. But anyway, they kind of scowl at each other. And just about as Mayhem is ready to tell her off. Malloy shouts Mayhem's name and points to the computer screen. And we see this bird shape is showing on the screen. And Gory runs up. He pushes the two agents out of the way and exclaims that his infrared gadget works. And Mayhem tells them, let's go. And we cut back uh, now to Scott riding T-Bob on the open highway. <laughs> With a different sound on T-Bob. Yeah. Not the... Little, you know, one or two cylinder engine. It's a, I don't know what it is. Dad, this is Scott. Dad, this is Scott. Come in. I haven't been able to raise Dad. Maybe everybody's out to lunch. Hello, Scott. Dad. No, it's Bruce. We're 15 minutes away from Nazca. I haven't been able to raise Dad all day. I think something's wrong. Now we cut to the transport plane and then scott advises that he hasn't been able to reach his dad all day as a trio in the transport plane talk to scott is they're not a pilot because they're just kind of huddled around <laughs> i guess so or his buddy you know the one or not buddy but um dusty got to control you know yeehaw uh, I don't know, <laughs> so brad responds saying they picked up thunderhawk's homing signal they'll be in touch shortly he informed them that they need to tell him that T-Bob's eyes are glowing. They glow from this mystery rain and tells Brad that it's important. So now we cut back to Matt and Alex, and it looks like Matt was carrying Alex. Uh, before, when you said it, you know, it just looked like he was dazed. And I, I sound like he got winded. Mm -hmm. You kind of hear this uh, uh, gasp. of She's trying to gasp for his air. Uh, well, Matt I, there's climbing i guess supposed to be climbing out of the ravine right right so i guess that's why he was winded i don't okay. know but it, the animation wasn't good for to no. show him any like climbing motion or anything you know uh, anyway so matt states that they should be able to get better radio reception now this is tracker calling mask transport calling mask transport matt this is bruce we're almost with you we just got the strangest message from scott he said something about T-Bob's eyes glowing. 
T-Bob's eyes glowing? Get here as fast as you can. Over. Matt now removes his mask again. Alex didn't hear the message since Alex removed it just prior to the conversation. Matt walks over and looks at the bird image and concludes that the rain ingredients are mixing with the phosphorus in T-Bob's eyes, causing them to glow. Matt then states that the figures below them have just been sprayed, which means that they may glow in the dark. So Matt now dons his mask and instructs Spectrum, if read on. Well, finally, we get a command. Now there is a glowing object on off on one of those images. Mm. And now we cut back to the transport plane. Right. Later, the uh, landed transport plane and vehicles are outside, minus Thunderhawk. And we see, uh, which of course is still in the ravine, we suppose. Uh, the computer says the direction is northwest now, and Matt tells Brad and Julio to fly that direction, keep an eye out for mayhem. He tells Bruce and Alex to, let's get moving. So we cut back to Venom now. The agents in the vehicles are huddled around several circles on the ground with a hole in the middle. All that work for a hole in the ground. You should consider yourself lucky to be part of this scheme. I certainly do. Mayhem and Vanessa just kind of stare at him for a minute as we hear a helicopter sound now. And we see Condor and Firefly now behind them with Gory shouting, It's mass! And then Mayhem calls the meddlers and tells Vanessa and Malloy to drive them off and then tells Gory to get Atlaw ready for action. So now we get Julio radioing back to Matt that they've found Venom about a mile ahead near some kind of well. And Venom attacks with Manta shooting its hood missiles a couple times and Vampire shooting its laser guns. Condor returns fire with its nose laser gun. Or I guess at one point it was its antimatter ray. Uh, right. Anyway, they all go around for another pass now. And Vanessa says that she's tired of fooling around. And Manta plays a little game of chicken with Condor. And as they fly past, this is uh, definitely a highlight of the episode. So as Manta flies past, Vanessa activates Whip and grabs one of Condor's helicopter blades and holds onto it. And she goes for a little spin or she kind of goes around in a circle around Condor and then it snaps off. And then we get Julio yelling for Brad uh, from Firefly, but he's not in position to attempt a rescue. So now we see Scott and T-Bob below. They pull up with Scott seeing Condor's in trouble. And now Condor is plummeting towards the mountainside below with that one blade that you can see. Brad then converts Condor into motorcycle mode and lands his back wheel first on the side of this mountain and then brings the nose down to, to land safely. And I, I've said it pulls off one of the greatest tricks we've seen oh, yeah. in the series so far. Yep, agreed. Luckily that, you know, there wasn't any really movement to Condor that he was able to stabilize it enough or keep it to where he could pull off a trick like this. But uh, I was impressed and I thought it was very... I don't know, you would think you would probably do that with the toy if you were playing with yeah. the toy, you know, something. Hey, you know, Condor gets shot in the air and you you convert it before he hits the ground and you, you land Condor on right. the side of your couch or something, you know. Uh, just uh, 
to pull off a trick like that. It just seemed like perfect for playtime. So anyway, I was, uh, I was impressed with that. Um, so now then we see Scott, uh, saying, All right, this is what I need for my movie. I should have got insurance on this one. Then he starts filming yeah, it's too late. after. <laughs> I was like, it's too late. <laughs> I mean, you missed it, dude. But uh, Brad comes to a stop, says he should have gotten insurance on this one. And then the other three vehicles are seen kind of circling above now. Right. And that's when we see uh, Switchblade with a rope tied to the skid. Miles has made his way down to the bottom and removes his python mask. It's sweltering in here. What a stupid place to hide a treasure. He swipes his arm across his brow to remove the sweat, but then he puts the python mask back on. I'm like, if it's that sweltering, why would you put that (laughs) baking thing back on? So anyway, he walks into the adjacent tunnel. Now we cut back to the outside above. We see Outlaw and Condor going nose to nose. Then we see the tandem buggy show up and begin shooting at Outlaw. Now Nash turns Outlaw around. And Condor and the tandem buggy pursue. Nash anxiously states that he's getting out of there. Well, geez, don't you have like a freaking tank of a truck <laughs> compared to a motorcycle <laughs> like, and a, and like half of right, a rig? Yeah. yeah, I'm like, what's what's uh, what's up, man? Yeah, really. <laughs> Fight back. So anyway, so then we cut to blasts erupting around Vampire. Rhino launching them from the command center tube. One successfully strikes Vampire, knocking him out of the air as Vanessa watches. As Floyd yells help, Vanessa growls, saying, hang on, runt. (laughs) She commands whip on and grabs hold of the back wheel of Vampire, and they carries him off as Firefly seems to just kind of, okay, you're out of the area. Bye. Mm -hmm. He just kind of ushers him out of the area. Parked together, Brad comments to Matt. It's a pretty sight, isn't it? Yeah, but there's something missing. Mayhem! And now we cut to Miles. Right, we're back at the well now. Mayhem crawls out, questioning, that's the treasure? And he sees Firefly overhead, and Matt, using Spectrum Hang Glider with no command, uh, glides towards the ground and is glowing, you know, his uh, hang glider mode there. It's been a while since we've seen that. Yeah. Uh, that could have been pulled off a little bit better the way that that happened. But anyway, uh, Mayhem runs towards Switchblade as Matt lands and shouts his name. Mayhem! You're helpless, Mayhem. You'll never get me! Viper! <laughs> he shoots a couple blasts of Viper. Yeah. He's actually wearing the Python mask. I couldn't remember what python does i was thinking it was more of just like a beam or something but yeah i think it is he called it viper there so i know that was a mistake Uh, matt dodges the blasts and mayhem quickly takes off in switchblade converts to jet mode leaves the scene firefly does another usher like i'll see you later yeah yeah uh that's why i said firefly is shown initially following him but then gives up the chase for some reason so uh, Scott and T-Bob now pull up with the agents huddled around each other. Uh, it was surprising that Julio is there, who was just shown in the sky saying, so, exactly. you know, anyway, Scott is saying, wow, you guys are going to be stars. And 
he's made the best movie ever. And Matt gives an odd stare and looks towards the well. And now we finish up the episode inside the cave. Right. And uh, you see, at first, you know, the, the way that they did the pictures is odd. I, I didn't think everybody was downstairs or down in that well. So anyway, we cut to Matt, Julia, I, and Brad. I thought the same the thing. Mm-hmm. With the pictograms and then Matt commenting that it's pretty warm down there. It appears as though this cave was inhabited thousands of years ago, possibly during the Ice Age. If this is the Cave of Winters, who wears the treasure? We then see the duo. That's where I, I didn't see the, the connection. Like, right. People just started showing up somewhere. Bruce and Alex, too, yeah. Yep. Now we cut to a steaming pond of water with Bruce stating that the beauty of the treasure is in the eye of the beholder. Alex states that he didn't catch that. Of course. Don't you see that? This is the treasure. A bunch of water and steam? Big deal. During the Ice Age, this would have been a very big deal. The heat, this refuge from the cold, was the ultimate treasure. Life. Yeah, I can see what they got all steamed up over. <laughs> and now it brings us to our PSA. And we are back at the Tracker Mansion. T Bob is in an apron and he serves Scott a hamburger at the table. Tells Scott he can count on him out of his next picture. So we get a little tie in here. Oh, you can't mean that. You'll be perfect for Planet of the Slave Robots. <laughs> T-Bob is pretty much his slave. Yep. Uh, T-Bob grabs the hot skillet from the stove that he was cooking the hamburger on and motions towards putting it in the sink, which is full of water. And Scott screams T-Bob's name, but T-Bob says, no, it's too late for apologies. And they are trying, you know, trying to continue their conversation, right. but he puts the pan in the water and it steams up and scares T-Bob. I was trying to tell you that if you put hot grease under cold water, it might splatter on you. You could burn yourself real bad. T-Bob just shrugs, yep. and we fade to black. <laughs> At least this time it connected. Usually it doesn't connect That's whatsoever. Right. So. All right, so you're at 3.5. Where did you go from here? Well, I raised it up a little bit. The animation was still very good. The whole stunt with Whip grabbing the, the rotor blade and snapping it and then Brad being able to just plummet and then eventually do basically convert and pop a wheelie to, to give it a, a nice cushion landing. That was a, a pretty impressive move. I, although it was very subtle, I liked a little bit of the back and forth with the whole Venom crew. I liked that someone got hurt you know, Alex was a little winded, so you see Matt helping him, his buddy out, uh, then finally getting into radio contact. But Venom ran off way too easy. I mean, they just chickened out way too easy. That still got to me. The duo, they weren't distracting at all. They weren't full of puns or just obnoxious. It was actually very well kept. I like the uniqueness of the treasure because it did connect. They they said it might, you know, back when he's talking to, to the doctor, that it, there's theories that it, it might have been gone as far back as the Ice Age. 
well, now we see why. It was a cave that was provided warmth. I like that. The only thing I, this is my adult mind now thinking, okay, great, it's warm. What did you do for food? Did you grow a garden down there? What did you do? <laughs> but again, this is me that. reaching yeah. for something. But it's like, you know, it's like, I, I like the concept. It's good. So, yeah, I raised it up just a tad to four minor stuff, enough that it wasn't a ter- totally bad. Um, I guess I'm the optimist anyway, but first half was a little more disappointing than the last. How about you? I'm right there with you. I landed on a four as well. I, I kept it right where it was. For me, the animation was still a little bit up and down. Like, uh, Manta's animation seemed a little bit off while Vampire's conversion was really nice. So I was still kind of, I felt like some parts were good and uh, better than others. Uh, I didn't have many roll my eyes moments. I don't remember even writing down roll my eyes. Usually it takes a joke and then the next one I'm like starting to roll my eyes, you know, where I didn't have like a consecutive bad puns that (laughs) I was just ready to be done with. So the only major one was, was really at the end. I mean, you know, when he, the steaming... I see why you guys are all steamed off or whatever he said. That joke, you know, you could have substituted for something like Scott checking his camcorder for the tape and he forgot to put one in, you know, or something like that. Just anything but that stupid joke. They, you know, that would have been fun to do something like that at the end. And like we said, the PSA tied in with the movie talk. Like you, it was weird because I was like, where did Alex and Bruce go? And then they yep. magically reappeared in the cave. But... I don't know. They made a big deal about having the mobile command center, but they really didn't just decided to use the, the they used the fifth wheel buggy. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. They I don't know. It didn't uh just the the computer choosing the the vehicle capabilities and stuff didn't really pay off, I guess. But uh, some of the logistics were off again with Julio being on the ground like we mentioned Firefly just shots before there, but uh, maybe that was supposed to be Alex on the ground with Matt and Thunderhawk, or because you know when Matt jumped out, I'm, I'm assuming Alex was flying Thunderhawk, so you didn't have that yep. tan that tandem in Rhino like we were talking about anyway uh, at the beginning. But it was interesting enough. B- besides Outlaw, you know when they disabled Condor, that's they're back on the ground now, so you only have Firefly, and then you've got. Manta and Vampire and Switchblade all, well, until uh, Vanessa towed them off there, you know. I don't know. There there could have been something where Firefly could have gone after them or something. Yeah. But the Outlaw one was the one that didn't really sit well with me. You know, Mayhem, yeah, he always tries to escape. And Vanessa's having to tow him back to get repairs or something. So she really couldn't do much of anything. So it's best to just kind of just get out of there. So I don't know. I guess I bought into that more than some of the other episodes, but uh, there's just two little ticks that I had the, the mistake with the Python and not vamp yep. uh, Viper gripping the wire. And then one mistake I did notice too. I don't know if you caught this when we initially see the fifth wheel buggy, Bruce is driving. And then they, as they zoom in to chase Gory, Alex is driving. So I they, yeah, they swapped the drivers from one scene right to the next. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't a different scene. It was in the within the same scene. They cut away to Outlaw, and it's a different person driving the the fifth wheel. So, it's just little details like that that they can 
figure out because Bruce should have been Bruce was in Rhino pretty much the whole time. He should have been the one in the fifth wheel buggy pulling up and you keep Alex with Mad and Thunderhawk, that kind of thing. But anyway, they usually screw that up with yeah. all the logistics and you know agents disappear for some reason and then they're back at the end of the episode. But again, I was like you. I kind of liked the story even though there wasn't like a real treasure. It was better than like the Confederate money and then being fed up and and leaving. It was just like, okay, so there's thing that could be treasure. They figure out, okay, it's just a this tunnel or room and they're out of there, you know, kind of a thing. So I it worked with them fleeing versus some of the other times where they get something and then they're like, okay, now what do we do? You know? <laughs> so I landed on a four. I thought it was uh, a, a, a good episode and the condor trick. Like you said, that was memorable to me. That yeah. might be the, uh, the leading candidate so far. Well, we've only reviewed one in the stretch, but <laughs> it might be, uh, you know, that might be the most memorable, uh, moment of this last five episodes that we're reviewing. I mean, even the trick with Vanessa's whip mask to save uh, Floyd, I thought was good. So while they didn't have too much of a mask battle, just that little showdown a little bit with uh, Mayhem and Matt at the end of the episode, they still were using their masks somewhat. Um, Anyway. All right. Any script similarities there? I didn't see Very vague. They did the battle scene in the desert, which is what we do. Mm Mm-hmm. That's about it. But we have Thunderhawk. It takes a bump all, along a, uh, a hillside. And yeah. I kind of sort of copied that from an airwolf scene where airwolf uh, comes up on a, a railroad track or something like that. And he does a bump. And, of course, it knocks out airwolf. But hmm. um, in this one, we knock out. We bump uh, Thunderhawk that is on it. Mm-hmm. Just and that's all it is. It's just a bump. Boom, boom. Oh, oh, okay. Then we're back on <laughs> on the fight. All right. Well, let's head on over to the uh, Agents of Mask site and bring up the poll. The poll was fifty uh, fifty. What I'm showing. Yep. Half of the votes went to a four, and half went to a three. So they were in that uh, three and a half range. Kind of where we were at. I stayed at a four, and you, I guess, did pull it up to a solid four, didn't you? I did. So, uh, eight votes, four and four there for the poll. And then we got several comments here. We're going to start with uh, Chope and Simon. The animation was average, and this episode lacked a little more tension and excitement. That's why I gave it only three points. But overall, it was not bad. I liked the fight scene and the story of the Cave of Winter. Venom should be awarded a Nobel Prize for doing research and unveiling a site of great historical interest, even though it was not their intention. They were hoping to make some cash with the treasure, as usual. If I remember correctly, there was a character called Professor Carruthers in one of the American Mask comic books, but he didn't look like the one in the episode. Hmm. Interesting. Good to yeah. yeah, I'll have to follow up on that. As and then we, we got uh... our buddy William Scott Crawford. Yes, Scott says, uh, a bit of a mixed bag in this episode. It's not really one that I remember from watching all of the cartoons, and that may say much about how miserable it was of an episode. It does have some great animations, such as the sunset at the start, and then the overhead shot of Condor flying. The story is very basic, fair. 
One of the biggest issues with the episode really is the sound. The noise that Thunderhawk makes as it flies, the silence in many of the scenes, and the sheer lack of dialogue. All that distracts from much of what is good with the episode. Then that PSA. It wasn't really good. In fact, they have a cheek having a PSA when an earlier episode... Scott is a passenger in Thunderhawk with no seatbelt on. <laughs> Very true. If I'm honest, the PSA that Anna and I made was far better. <laughs> Talking about the uh, wear your mask there. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. Now on to Anna. This is an okay episode. Its highlight was the battle scene between Brad and Vanessa when Vanessa uses whip to destroy Condor. And Brad still manages to land it without getting hurt. It was also good when she used Whip to save Malloy afterwards. In addition, I liked her comment to Mayhem when he was complaining about them using too much time. What's the hurry? I don't see you up there. Corey must have been extremely annoying to work with. I remember liking him better the way he was portrayed in the U.S. comics. I also don't remember him being portrayed as such a coward in the episode Creeping Desert. If you've seen the show Swamp Thing... The character Jason Woodrow, played by Kevin Durand, looks very much like Gory, the way he should be portrayed in a mask movie. Hmm. I don't remember if Kevin Durant was one of the choices for Gory in the role casting you had on your page some years ago, but I think he might have been. I don't Kevin remember. Durant. It's been so long since we did our poll. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick Google on Kevin Durand to see. Hmm. I We might have had... Him for a different character, maybe Bruno or something. Yeah, I remember him being in uh, the Wolverine movie. I think what else I've seen him in, but not for not for Gory. I have not watched uh, Swamp Thing enough to make an intelligent <laughs> comment about that. Uh, as far as uh, being compared to Nash, but uh, we'll have to check that out. That's cool. Okay, uh, and then last we have Decker, and we have uh, Scott chiming in on Decker's comment here. Uh, the thing I, what Decker says, the things I liked about this episode, the use of a real-world sight and mystery, Floyd Birdman Malloy and Outlaw, I always love both of these things, Warfield being salty to Gory Malloy, and the overall Venom dynamic, and then the battle scene he liked. The things I didn't like where the call-up scene animation was off showing agents who were not selected other than the animations and the sounds seemed off. Well, you're always uh, up to par on the sound there. Why didn't they usually don't uh, keep that sound? And we mentioned about the other, you know, showing off the other agents. I don't know. I kind of like that just as something different, but. Uh, back to Decker. Also, Matt didn't say Spectrum Hang Glider when using it, and Mayhem said Viper while wearing Python. We, we caught those. Uh, the early scenes with Matt Tracker, his animation and face seemed off. Overall, the plot felt weak, although the subplot of Scott realizing he could make movies off of his life makes him the first social influencer? <laughs> Question okay. mark. Uh, if Mask was remade today with Scott, would he be an Instagram star with all his adventures, exotic locals, and mask adventures? Overall, I felt like a middle-of-the-road episode. I didn't remember it from my childhood. And Scott replied uh, back to him, I agree with you on the agent call-up scene. I think 
had the computer gone through the agents, then stopped as the name of the agent being selected was being said, it would have worked. However, saying the name as it was rotating through them, then stopping at the end didn't make much sense. So, yeah, and that's probably why most of you, and including you, why it didn't work, was they are saying the name and then stopping the rotation of the agents, whereas the person should show up, boom, you know, Brad Turner, whatever. So that was it. That was some great comments, guys. We appreciate that. Uh, Always great to get some more feedback and some insight to there. And I think coming up next, what we'd like to do, speaking of comics, you guys mentioned comics a couple times is uh, instead of going right to the next episode, we're going to try to review the second series of mass comics that was published by DC Comics in 1987. There was nine issues, so we're going to split them up into threes. So we're going to try to tackle the uh, first three issues the next time around. And we found a a site online that has the comics up there. I don't know if it's really legit or not, some of the ads and stuff on the site is kind of questionable, but we'll put the link up. It's called readcomiconline.to, and it's got all nine of those. And it's actually got the first four, too, that were uh, issued in the U.S., and it's got all the pages scanned, and including the uh, ads and everything. So we're going to review just the whole book. We're going to you know, cover the story and the art and and things like that. But we also want to look at the ads, try to remember some of those things from back in the day, what they were advertising. And instead of uh, doing a rating on each comic book, we're going to try something new here and we're going to rank them. So we got a one through nine comics here. And so we'll go through the first issue and then we'll determine is issue two better than issue one. And we can do our own list wide if we yeah. want to kind of compile our own list or try to agree. And uh, so then once we get to issue three, we'll say, okay, well, was that better than issue two or was that is- better than issue one? And we'll compare them and we'll make a list. So after we review all nine of them, we'll say, okay, issue seven was our favorite and then issue five and then issue three or whatever. And we'll make a list of uh, ones that we recommend you check out first. Or you can just read them all in order. It's up to you. But (laughs) we have uh, reviewed comics before, so I want to invite you guys to go back. MassCast 28 was what we called our mini-comic read-along. So we did a fun little thing where we... And this... I I think this was with Eric with BoulderHill.net. I think so. We uh, essentially read through the comics, and we did the little page-turning sound when we got to the, the next page. And we kind of reviewed the, I think it's three mini-comics that they included with the toys. And then uh, MassCast 36 was our review of the first series of four issues of comics from DC. That was with Eric as well. So check out MassCast 28 and 36, maybe a little refresher actually for us too. But the first issue that we'll be reviewing is called The Ice Age Cometh. The second issue is called Masquerade. And the third one is called The Switchblade Conspiracy. So we're going to kind of go through those. I've got a little outline, and we'll kind of get our feet on the ground here, hopefully, as we uh, we'll go page by page and review the ads and all that fun stuff, too, and uh, try to change it up a little bit here in the next mass cast. So 
this was fun, man. This was fun. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get some different stories and maybe some more uh, uh, more insight into Mask from the comic book angle, you know, right. coming up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So once again, thank you one and all for coming alongside with us, being a fellow agent of our fans, uh, our favorite cartoon, Mask. We invite you, like like Jason said, once again, to visit us at agentsofmask.com and look for us on the social media. And until the next time, thanks for watching and listening to us here on MaskCast. What's the hurry? I don't see you up there.